Hello, everyone. My name is Jared Altick, and I'm a chaplain with the police department. The Hey Chaplain podcast brings you stories and wisdom about life and law enforcement, giving support and encouragement to those who wear the badge. Today, I'm talking to Paul Bowman, who was the department range master in the 1980s when the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department transitioned from revolvers to semi-automatic handguns. This transition from over 100 years of one type of gun to a completely different type is actually one of the biggest changes in law enforcement history. In less than one generation, over 15,000 departments and agencies changed from primarily carrying revolvers to primarily carrying semi-autos. And with change comes fear, resistance, and growing pains. Paul and I made an effort here to talk about guns in a way that is accessible to non-shooters. I want people who are unfamiliar with some of these guns and their histories to be able to follow along, while still giving experienced shooters enough new information to keep them engaged also. And I think we did a pretty good job of it too, although I had a hard time reining in my enthusiasm. Paul is just one of those guys with whom it's fun to talk about guns. He's knowledgeable, he keeps up with the cutting edge of technology, and he was actually there when the big changes happened. Here's Paul Bowman. Hello, Paul. How are you doing today? Doing just fine. Thank you. Excellent. I'm glad that you're here today. I wanted to talk to you about the transition from revolvers to Glocks and what that looked like in in a police department, specifically the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department. So so let me start out by maybe defining some of our terms. When, when someone says a wheel gun, not a real gun, but a wheel gun, uh, what, what's that mean? That's basically that's a revolver because it has a round cylinder that's like a wheel that mm-hmm. spins around. Okay. Okay. How many shots? It depends. Some of them are six shot, but some of the smaller ones, like what detectives would carry, were only five shot. Okay. Okay. And with these these revolvers, they don't have a safety, right? No. Okay. So you pull the trigger, it goes bang. Pull the trigger, it goes bang. But it's a heavier trigger pull. What, so is, it, what does that mean? It it's, takes more strength to pull the trigger, and it's a longer trigger pull. Okay. Unless you cock it first. Okay. And if you cock it first, then it's a real light trigger pull. It's two different trigger pulls. This is the difference you someone might hear at times that referenced single action versus double action. Exactly. Double action is where the trigger pull pulls back the hammer and then releases it again. Single action is when you cock the hammer mm-hmm. and then you got a real light trigger pull. Okay. So if the hammer is pulled back first, then just hardly any effort at all makes the gun go off. Exactly. But if the hammer's up, it's actually a really long, hard pull. Yes. That's not going to happen on accident. No. <laughs> no. And so it's there's not a mechanical safety, but there is kind of a built-in safety element to it because it's hard to pull the trigger. That uh, The main safety on <clears throat> revolver is the person that's got it. Okay. It's the person themselves. Uh, there are built-in internal safeties that keep the weapon from going off accidentally, like if you drop it or something. Right. Okay. But as far as any other safety, it's the individual himself. Okay. And then a semi-auto, what is different about a semi-auto? Let's just kind of work work our way down the list here. There's not a cylinder. No. 
Okay. No. It, uh, sem- a semi-auto has a magazine okay. that fits in it, multiple round magazine. You put a round in the chamber, and every time you pull the trigger, it fires that round, and it'll reload another round in the chamber. Most semi-autos, the top of the gun slides back and forth. Slides back and forth. And ejects, right. ejects the spent casing and loads a new round. Loads, loads a new one in. Okay. How many shots are in the magazine, typically? Typically, uh, 12 to 15, depending on the size of the gun. Some of them have as many as 18 rounds. Okay, so twice, maybe even three times as many yes. as a revolver. Exactly. Okay, that's that's important. Now, trigger pull with a mm. with a semi-auto, they're not typically quite as heavy as the no, revolvers. They're, they're, not, uh, <clears throat> they're not nearly as heavy, and the length of the pull is a lot shorter on a semi Okay. As compared to revolver. So that gun, the trigger pulls lighter. It goes off a little easier. Yes. Some of them have safeties, mechanical safeties. Yes. But some of them don't, right? Yes. Okay. And very famously, the Glock, which is almost your you know stereotypical police gun, it does not have a external safety. It does. Okay. Explain it, that. It does. On the trigger, there's a centerpiece on the trigger. Okay. That centerpiece, you have to have your finger on the trigger, and that piece has to be pulled back in order to pull the trigger on back. You can get a hold of the sides of the trigger, and you can't pull it back unless you depress that little centerpiece. So you can't drop it or or gravity or the wind or anything else. That's not possible to no. pull that trigger. You have to physically have your finger on the trigger and pull it back. Okay. And so the two guns are quite a bit different. And, of course, the the semi-autos are a little more recent invention. I mean, you, I suppose you go all the way back to the early, you know, turn of the century, 20th century, when you start seeing semi-autos uh, of different types. And, of course, the 1911 style, you know, World War One, yes. you know, U.S. Army gun. I mean, that's very common. But the Glocks that were made largely, the lower part of the gun is made out of plastic, that's more recent. Yes. And so the, the tried and true technology of the six-shooter, the revolver, the wheel gun, was, had, was long established before these polymer plastic uh, semi-autos came around in the, in the 70s and 80s and 90s. So how did Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, move from the tried and true technology to, to this newer stuff? Well, it was... A result of the criminals, the bad guys out there, it became quite apparent that the police officers were outgunned. Uh, a lot of the bad guys had semi-automatic handguns, they had rifles, everything else. And mm-hmm. we were still dealing with six-shot revolvers. Okay. And uh, it became apparent we were outgunned and thought it was time that we get caught up a little bit for the protection of the officers and of the people themselves. Okay. Okay. So what year did you come on uh, the force? I came on the department in June of 1967. Okay. And uh, at what point did you start hearing talk of transitioning to uh, something more modern? We started hearing talk of other departments doing it probably about 80 Five, okay, something like that. Okay, uh, you could hear where some departments were starting to transition, 
and reading a lot and stuff on it. And we really didn't get involved into the transition until I think it was early 88. Okay. What were some of the factors? I mean, you mentioned that, that the police sometimes felt they were outgunned. Um, but what was the problem with the old reliable revolver? Uh, well, what were the negatives there? Uh, they were good weapons. Of course, like with any other thing, you have to take care of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were good for six shots. Uh. And if you needed more than six shots, it took time to reload. Okay. And sometimes you didn't have that time. Okay. So the the cylinder would would kind of pop out the side, mm-hmm. and you would shake the old cases out. Okay. And then walk me through what does reloading look like? Well. With a, with a revolver, after you fired your last shot, you have to push the button and open the cylinder, have to hit the ejector rod, knock those out, and then you got to put six more rounds in there. By hand? By hand. Uh, and trying to do it one at a time takes time. And even people that had the speed loaders, which is just a round cylinder with the six bullets snapped in them. Okay. Some guys carried them. So all six in. were together. They were together, and you had to line them up and drop them in the cylinder, push the button. That made it a lot faster, but still, it took time. Kind of a delicate operation yes. with these loose bullets you know, to, to do that, especially if you're being shot at. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's hard to concentrate on that whenever you're being shot at because most of the time, you don't realize what you're doing. And it all comes back to training. Mm-hmm. If you don't train with a process and practice with a process, it's going to be a big mess when it happens. Yeah, and I think I think that's part of part of the culture in the seventies and eighties and police culture was this memory of an incident in nineteen seventy in Newhall, California, where four California Highway Patrol officers were killed. They were all young officers. They were mm-hmm. all new on the job. They all had revolvers, and at least the belief about what happened is that both pairs of officers were killed while reloading. And 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 whether that actually happened that way or not, I mean, it, people aren't sure, but, but that's the belief. It sounds very logical. If I'm not mistaken, the bad guys in that situation had semi-autos, or one yeah. of them did. Yeah, I think so. And the guys trying to reload their revolvers... The bad guy doesn't have to reload. Nope. He can just keep pulling his trigger. He can keep pulling the trigger. Yeah. And like you said earlier, it's hard to concentrate to do something when you're being shot at. Yeah. yeah. And it, that's, if they were new officers, more than likely, like most officers, they don't consistently train. Yeah. And that's... The worst part of it. Well, there's so much else on the job to learn. There is. Besides shooting. There and is. And I think that some people see a police officer who carries a gun every day, and they think, oh, well, they shoot all the time. That's not necessarily true. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> there, there are some cops who are gun guys, and they do that recreationally. They take advantage of every training they can get. They, they love to shoot. But there are plenty of really good officers who they only shoot to qualify. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's the only time they shoot. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And the ones that really need to practice very seldom will go down to the range and practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that go down to the range and practice don't really need to. Yeah. yeah. Because they practice under 
different conditions and constantly so that they embed in their mind what to do and when to do it. Right. And the guys that don't practice, it just, I don't know. I tried for several (laughs) years to understand it, and I never could. Okay, okay. So the mindset is that there might be a fatal flaw with revolvers. At least that's the fear that that you'd get caught reloading, and and even speed loaders didn't cut down that time too significantly. And so, so this is a feeling of being undergunned. Yes, exactly. Now, some years go by. You get into the eighties. Start having departments that are buying these cheaper polymer guns like Glock and Glocks are made in Europe and, and they're this, although I think they're made here now, but, uh, but they, but they're an imported gun that is part plastic, part metal and high capacity magazines and supposedly very reliable. And, and I think Glock has proven that they are, but, but this is a new technology Yes, and, and not everybody's on board with that, especially if you're, if you're a chief or some sort of commander that makes decisions about this and you're not entirely comfortable with guns yourself, which I don't blame anybody for that. I mean, the psychology of, okay, I'm going to cause an explosion to happen right in front of my face. Mm-hmm. It, that, that's not a natural thing. And so, and so some people really had to work to overcome that and be trained to be proficient in a revolver. And now you want to take the revolver away and, and replace it with a semi-auto. Well, that's exactly why when we did make the transition over to semi-autos, that the people who wanted to keep the revolvers, they grandfathered them to be able to keep their revolvers. Okay. So if they, if they just did not want to make that transition... There were exceptions made for those who wanted to keep carrying a exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. All right. But when you were in a position, now this is in the 80s, uh, probably getting into the late 80s, right? And, and you're asking, okay, we really ought to transition over and look at some other guns. How did the powers that be at that time, how did they receive that? Well, uh, our chief was very receptive. Uh, I contacted, I was on the range at that time, and I contacted him because I had sample weapons from different manufacturers. And I contacted him and asked him to come down to the range and shoot some of them. And let him shoot them and showed him the speed of reloading with them, uh, the, the effectiveness of the weapons, and he thought it was a good idea. He says, that's something that we need to do, and asked me to write up a proposal, which I did, and give it to him, and he approved it, and then we started the transition over to uh, semi-automatics, which was a giant headache for me and my partner, because we had to train everybody on the department with semi-autos. Which some people probably were a bit resistant to, I'm sure. Some were resistant, and like I say, there were a few that were grandfathered uh, and retained their revolvers, which that was fine. But some of those people even came through our transitional training just to see what it was like. Right, right. But uh, Were you able to win over some hearts and minds there? We've won over a few that way, but there okay. was probably three or four that were diehard revolver fans, right. and, uh, which that was fine. They were uh, very proficient with their revolvers. Okay, okay. And 
that's fine. If they felt more comfortable with it, we was all for it. You also have, talking about the psychology behind it, this is before all weapons were purchased with uniform allowances. And so some of these older officers had bought that revolver with their own money. Yes, right? all of them had. All of them. Everybody, uh, when they went on their department, they bought their own weapon. Okay, so that's there's an attachment had, there. Yes, that's why they had a choice of four weapons at the time. And then, Do you recall what those four options were revolver-wise? Revolver-wise, they could have a Smith & Wesson, a Colt, a Dan Wesson, or a Ruger. Okay. Okay, and these are like like a Smith and Wesson model nineteen. Nineteen. Okay. Uh, so very very traditional, yes. very traditional uh, looking uh, black revolver. Yep, and the Colt okay. Trooper. And okay. Yes. Okay. All right, and then the the four semi autos that you looked at. Do you remember what those were? Yes, we uh, we had Beretta, Sig Sauer, Smith and Wesson, and Glock. Beretta is probably what the Army picked. The M nine. Yes. Okay. The Army was carrying Berettas. Uh, we got the SIG, we got the Smith & Wesson, and the Glock. A lot of people was, a lot of departments were using Smiths. Okay. Uh, a few departments were using uh, SIGs, but uh, a lot of departments was going to the Glock because it was a relatively new weapon, and it had already proven itself. Okay. Were these all 9 millimeter? Yes, they were all 9s, and uh, later on they let them transition to 40s if they wanted to they could carry a 9 or a 40 either one okay so now that's another factor in this uh, because shortly after a lot of departments switched over to semi-autos they not universally but in large part switched over to 40 caliber Mm -hmm. now a lot of that comes from a different shootout that happened in the mid 80s in miami what was the problem there there was there were eight eight fbi agents two assailants they they get in this shootout, and the assailant that kills two FBI agents and wounds five FBI agents was shot at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But what was the problem there? Shot placement. Uh, I have seen, in my years on, I've seen almost as many people shot and killed with little 25s right. or even 22s. Small, small bullets. Small bullets. Weak bullets, right. It just depends on the placement of the shot. Yeah. The, you can shoot somebody certain places with huge guns, and it's not going to kill them. Yeah. Because it didn't hit the right place. Yeah. And that's that's the main thing is the, the shot placement. Yeah. And when it hits, it needs to penetrate. It needs to penetrate and expand. Yeah. And that became something the FBI really got committed to after that shootout in Miami. Yes. They're like, look, we're going to make sure that our bullets go all the way in, you know, a certain distance, even if it's through an arm or through part of a car or something else. And through the clothing. Yes. Yeah. Because some of the bullets uh, that they had designed back then, once it hit the clothing, they was done. They'd go through clothing. They wouldn't expand. It would fill up the hole in the front of the bullet and the bullet wouldn't expand. Mm. And then... It just defeats a purpose. So the FBI's solution to this is a bigger bullet. A bigger right? bullet. <laughs> so they moved to a 10 millimeter. And that may not sound like a lot from 9 millimeter to 10, but if you saw them side by side, There's one's tiny and the other's gargantuan. That's right. And and what was the problem, though, with a 10 millimeter? 10 millimeter was just, for most of them, it took uh, too large of a gun, okay. the frame of the gun, and the recoil. Okay. Most people couldn't handle the recoil. 
on a big gun like that. You talk about the psychology of, of an explosion going off in front of your face. A 10 millimeter is a notable explosion. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> and if you're anticipating that recoil, there, there's a common problem mm-hmm. that, that happens if somebody, with really any kind of gun, if they are, are anticipating that recoil, there's a mistake they can make. What, what right. is that? It's going to jerk. You're going to, you're going to dip the end of the gun down because okay. you're anticipating it, and it's going to jerk on the trigger. And that's, yeah. uh, it's going to throw your shot off. Sure. Every time. Sure, sure. And an, another problem with a reciprocating slide, with a slide that goes back and forth, mm-hmm. that slide needs to be able to cycle all the way back and forward again. That's correct. What mistake do some shooters make with, uh, w- w- with that kind of weapon? They either hold the weapon too loosely in their hand okay. or they don't lock their wrist. Okay. They let their wrist come back, and if that comes back, that takes away from the recoil spring. And the slide won't come back, and it causes a stovepipe or causes a stoppage or a jam in it. So the empty shell doesn't come out all doesn't the way. Doesn't come all out all the way. Because you weren't holding the gun strongly enough. Right. But but both of those problems, slapping the trigger, a limp wrist, both those problems come from being afraid of the recoil and, and being afraid of the gun going off. And not most of it, and not being experienced with it. Right. Uh, some people just don't have the strength in their wrist and hand to hold the gun securely okay especially a lighter gun okay and uh, the solution though non-intuitively is what well solution to that is a lot of practice or get a heavier gun a heavier gun a heavier gun okay if you've got a heavier gun the gun itself is going to take up some of the recoil its own inertia its takes own care inertia of it. will be taking take up some of it ah. and that and so if you, have, if you have a smaller shooter, a person a person who is smaller, male mm-hmm. or female, but they're a smaller person, and they're not holding the gun strongly enough, some t- the, my intuition would say, well, give them a lighter gun, give them a smaller gun, but actually that's not the way to fix it. That's not the way to fix it. That's the wrong way to go. Okay. Okay. So the 10 millimeter, big, big bullet, maybe a little too big. All right. What was FBI's solution after the 10 millimeter? They went back to the 40s. Okay. And since uh, they carried 40s for a long time, and then they switched back to 9s. And the biggest majority of the departments now are carrying 9s. Yes. And now, but the the what's the difference between a 9 millimeter round 40 years ago versus now? I mean, there, there's been there's been some technological improvements, right? Yes. Uh, the knives now, they've, they've done a lot of, uh, improvements, uh, technology on bullet expansion. Okay. okay. Uh, they've tested different bullets through glass, through clothing, uh, different articles, coats, uh, and they've developed bullets that will still penetrate that and then expand after it gets in. Okay, so the idea that a 9 millimeter is not a big enough round to penetrate or to get through certain barriers is probably not true anymore No, technology-wise. It'll, it'll get through, and, and uh, like I say, it all goes back to shot placement. Okay. So ultimately, marksmanship. Whatever gun you're carrying. Exactly. Okay, you need to be able to put rounds on the target. Exactly. Okay. 
Okay. Well, that's fantastic. So some officers resisted this, um, but but most of them got on board, yes. and they could pick between these different semi-autos. This mm-hmm. is in the late 80s. Uh, how long did that last that they could pick whatever kind of semi-auto they wanted? That only lasted about, uh see, we started the transitional training in July. Uh, they had up until... I think it was August, sometime in August, that they had to determine for sure what they wanted. And this is 88? 88. Okay. 89. 89. 89. Okay. 89, yes. Okay. Eventually, though, that became standardized. Yes. Where does that decision come from? That comes from the chief. Okay. So a chief came in, and he wanted everyone carrying the same gun. What, what, what's the logic there? His logic at the time, uh, that's when they changed over to where everybody had to get Glocks. The department was the department was buying Glocks for him. And uh, he wanted everybody to look the same. Okay. Well, and looking the same seems very important. Uh, <laughs> he thought so. Sorry. He thought so, and he was the chief. He wanted well, sure, everybody sure. That's his prerogative. to be right. uniform and to look the same. Okay. And uh, one of his reasoning was that if, Two officers got into a shootout, and one of them ran out of ammunition. The other officer could throw in one of his magazines, and he could keep on shooting. Now, wait. A Glock 17 has how many rounds in the magazine? They usually have uh, uh, 15 to 17, depending on the magazines. Okay. And you carry two or three magazines, presumably. Most of them did. Carried at least two and sometimes three. Okay. So your partner shot 50 shots. Mm-hmm. And the problem's not solved yet. Mm-hmm. Now he wants to take one of your magazines. Mm-hmm. Are you giving it to him? No. <laughs> because he's already proved to me that he can't hit what he's shooting yes. at. I'll guard him while he leaves, but he's not getting my bullets. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's awesome. Okay. Now, let me go back to the chief thing. You, you made the transition from revolvers to semi-autos. And and the chief had to approve that. Your chief came down and shot it and said, hey, this is a great idea. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times these processes take a long time. But in your case, it actually was hurried. Why did that happen? Because our chief told me when I presented it to him to write up a proposal for this transition and get it to him because he was about to retire. And he said, if you don't get it approved before I retire, you may not get it at all. Okay, okay. So, I so he was, up, he was savvy about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't count on the next chief because a chief's been in law enforcement for, for 20 or 30 years already. Right. And that means they were trained on an older system. That's what they're comfortable with. And they don't want change. Yeah. 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 They don't that's, want change. That's that's a problem with any agency. They uh, Most of them are resistant to any kind of change. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have to... To factor that in, I mean, I'm sure there are gun guys in police departments right now that are thinking, hey, we need to do this. We need a different holster. We need a different gun. We need a different ammunition. And they can't communicate that to their chief or to the powers that be. They can't get it up the chain of command because the chain of command were used to what came before. Yes. And and they may not be receptive to changing that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, they don't. Uh, they don't like change, a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, and of course, a lot of them are afraid of liability. Sure. 
Sure. You're afraid something's going to happen. You don't this want to is, make a mistake that's right. when something else is already tried and true. That's right. Yeah. Uh, they're afraid, you know, something might happen, then we're going to be liable. And they're just resistant because of a lot of reasons. Okay. And so the chief pushed that through, and you switched over to semi-auto. Yes. Four years later, a different chief says, we're going to switch over to Glocks. Mm-hmm. So everybody's carrying the same make of yes. gun. All right. And so everybody that wasn't grandfathered in is is moving over to the very same thing. And yes. then we see another 25 years go by, and and Glocks are still prevalent, uh, probably the most common law enforcement gun out there yes. right now. But but you're saying that the switch is now from 40 caliber to, to nine, nine millimeter, yes. a little smaller, more controllable round that that uh, has better technology than it used to have. A little smaller, more controllable, has good technology, and you have more round capacity in your magazines. Oh yeah, because it is a smaller bullet. Yeah, the 40 cal's weren't carrying 17 rounds; they no. were carrying. A dozen or so, maybe. Mm-hmm. Because and the okay. nine is being smaller, you get more rounds in a magazine. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes sense. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, Paul. I really appreciate you coming in and talking to me about this. No problem. Uh, glad to do it. Glad Excellent. to do it. Thank you. The story of transitioning from revolvers to semi-autos isn't really a gun story. It's actually a story about overcoming change within a department. And cops hate change just about the same amount that they hate not changing. It really all depends on where their attachments are. The fact that these officers had invested time in learning one type of gun, a gun that can be challenging for some to learn, and then they had to pay for it with their own money, meant that some of those officers were never going to give up that revolver, no matter what statistics or arguments you might try to make. Fighting for change in these kind of scenarios might feel like an impossible task. In the case of KCKPD, having a chief who was willing to push through a big change before he retired was critical to making that transition happen when it did. But if you're a leader who is not about to retire, it's understandable that you might pump the brakes before you hang your entire career and reputation on a new and unfamiliar technology that might not pan out. The rest of us should stop and consider how to sell a new idea to a leader who is in that position. It might take some nudging and some hands-on education or maybe a field trip to see another department who has adopted the change already. It can be done, but that natural dynamic that fears the unfamiliar and becomes more risk-adverse as the investment increases, that human element will always be there. I love talking to Paul Bowman about guns and law enforcement, and I wish I had recorded our banter as we prepared for the interview. All of it was pure gold. If you liked hearing from Paul, you can hear him talking about police cars in a previous episode of the Hey Chaplin podcast. That's bonus episode two, which was released on September 27th, 2021. If you liked what you heard here, please share this episode with a cop or someone who loves a cop. I also want to give a shout out to my listeners in South Carolina. It's not the largest group of listeners that I have, but when I check my statistics early in the morning on a day that a new episode drops, there's always a group of South Carolina downloads in a couple of towns that are first in line. And I'm just really delighted by that, that there are listeners, I don't even know who you are, but here you are downloading the episodes first in line every time. And I really appreciate it. Thank you on the next episode of Hey Chaplin.
Well, initially, I learned how to do that in Harris County when we had the trial for Jesse Valdez, the the gal that killed him. I was with the family. We had a two-week trial every single day, you know. So I was with the family from actually picking them up at their house, getting them to the courthouse, getting them through the line um, of people going in the building, making sure the media didn't shove microphones in their faces and that sort of thing, sitting with them in the the courtroom, um, walking them to the bathroom. So once again, they didn't get attacked by media, you know, trying to catch them at a, um, you know, just out of the blue. The views expressed here are the personal views of the hosts and our guests and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components. Thank you for listening today. And as always, pray for peace in our city.